So um, here we are. Uh, it's Parsha's bow, and the first thing that I want to say is that um, we started a new book recently, two weeks ago, and um, I want to put a challenge out for anybody to learn all the names of the Parshas, the Parshas in bow. Okay, if you learn, yes, thank you. Thank you, Sydney, for catching me. Um, for all the, if you can come and give me all the names of the, the Parshas in Shemos, I will give you something, not a standard chocolate that is on my desk. Okay, you have. Oh, it's like I've known it since first grade. It's <laughs> known it since first grade, and I need you to give me all five books in one shot. <laughs> no, I said, if you, you got it, it has to be a challenge. Okay, so I'm going to get something. So that's, I think that part of our, part of our holistic Jewish education is to be able to list off the names of the Torah portions in any, in any given book. Um, uh, so that's first of all. So now, Shemos, which we started two weeks ago, is, that might just only be voracious. It's a Ramban. It's a, no, it's, it's a Oh, it's a Shemos, okay. Yeah. Um, <coughs> okay, so uh, we started Shemos two weeks ago, and we mentioned then that another name. I have my cheat sheet though for the names. Yeah, but you got to tell, give it to me by heart, not off your cheat sheet. Oh, Sorry. Can I not read them from here? No, you cannot. Okay. No, you cannot. I mean, you could, but not for the purposes. Exactly. You can make a song. It doesn't matter. But yeah, okay. that's that's that. Next week, anybody wants to come in? Well, that'll be open for next week. Um, we mentioned that uh, the book of Shemos is also called Sefer Hagu'ula, the book of Exodus, and that we were going to be able to sort of personally track going into exile and coming out um, and going into Exodus. Is, that's also part of the theme of this book on a personal level, not just um, as a once upon a time thing. So here we are, we're at Parsha's bow. Last week, which we did not learn together, we had the first seven makas. The first seven plagues happened last week. Um, this week, we have the last three, and we actually have the Exodus this week. Woo! It's like a one-liner. It's like, and they left. You know, it's like, you know, you're waiting for like the, the whole, you know? But it's not. Okay, so a couple of things that I wanted to share before we get into the Parsha. First of all, um, it's interesting to note that every single one of the plagues that happened took a month, okay? So there was three weeks of warning, and then there was a week of the plague. The plagues we know are, are can be broken up into groups of three. You guys are learning that uh, at Chavrusa. So basically what would happen is in a group of three plagues, let's say, um, the blood, the the blood, the frogs, and the lice. So there would be like three weeks of warning, a week of plague. Three weeks of warning, a week of plague. And then you'd have like, if this was like a movie set, you'd have like dramatic music that's like building up. That would be silent. So you'd have three weeks of, of warning, one week of the plague. Three weeks of warning, one week of the plague. Three weeks of that like, you know, silence where you know something's going to happen. And then you get the plague. So give me one second, let me finish my sentence. Um, so basically, for the last seven months, there's been no slavery. There's, Egypt's been getting beat and hit and, and taught lessons left, right, and center. But it's going to influence what's going on in our partial, which is why, besides that, it's interesting. It's, it's going to influence something that goes on in our partial, which is why I want to bring it up. 
Emma, question. Yeah, I always wondered, so there was no, the plagues weren't at the same time, like they weren't frogs and flies. No, 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 so no, 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 it was like, that would it, be the worst. What, everything together? <laughs> but then you get over it, so, but then you just get over it, like, so the, the question that, the question that we want to ask is what is the point of the, what are the points of the plagues? If they were, if the point, if the point of, of the, of, say that five times quickly, if the point of the plagues was just to punish, then you're right. Pile it on and just like, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Because you're just like smashing down. But if the point of the plagues is to educate, then you, you, can't, get, you can't get them all at once. So it's, it's going to be a, a buildup of a lot of things that are going on and it's going to, each plague is going to build on the other. So that's why we, they, they were not... Um, they were not overlapping, and, and then also just for a sense to understand, like, the Jews are living a very different reality for the last bunch of months than they were up until now. Um, um, there was a thought that flitted <coughs> in and out of my head that I wanted to share, but I forgot because it flitted out again. So this was, like, going on, like, a really long time. Yes, yes, yes. So, so from, when Moshe, from when Moshe comes... It takes almost a year for all the plagues to, to go down, okay? Um, I'm going to remember whatever it was that I wanted to say later, and I'll hopefully remember to, to tell it. To say. Okay. Um, so that's one of the things that we're... Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. One of the things that we're not going to deal with now in this class is, like, all the plagues that we missed. We're not doing that. That's one thing. The other thing that I wanted to just mention, which is very interesting, is that a lot of these... Uh, stories and conversations are familiar for to us because they're Pesach. Pesach, they're the Passover story, right? We, like we, we have all this conversation, you know, again and again and again. So I want to bring two thoughts on this. One is more sourced and one is just like Rifka Marga's rent. So the, the, the sourced thought is that we know that Pesach takes place in the spring, right? We know that the that you, know, you have to have Pesach. Passover has to be in the spring. And we know that spring is like, it's hopeful. On, just on a, on a purely, you know, biological, whatever, weather situation, spring is hopeful. Things are starting to bud and things are, the weather is good and we're not all huddled and whatever, right? So when we talk about Pesach has to be in the spring, that's the place because the energy of redemption is out there. It's in your face. It's like, it's warm, it's blossoming, that's redemptive. But the question that we want to ask ourselves is, what happens if we want to break free in the middle of winter? And it's cold and it's gross and it's, you know, well, we haven't been having terrible weather, but I'm just saying like, what, how, where do we get the energy for that? So the, 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 the energy that we get for the holiday of Passover, for Pesach, it's built into the calendar. So there, that energy of redemption is there. It's so easy to plug into. It's like, it's hopeful, it's spring. The energy's there. Just char- plug your phone into the wall and it'll charge like a fast charger, right? But during the winter, when it's harder, we learn the Parshias. We learn the Pesach story when it's not inspiring and when things are hard and things are cold and things are... To say, wait a second, how do I deal with it? Because we know that the Torah portion does give us 
like a spiritual boost every single week. So in case we're saying, right now, I am struggling with something. I really want to deal with this. Do I have to wait till it's good weather, till it's like revelation, right? When the sun is revelation, till like it's so revealed and Hashem is so out there. And no, we, we have the Torah portions going with us now, sort of, you know, uh, accompanying us through these, the, what are traditionally the coldest months of the year, for most of the world, except for the Southern Hemisphere. But, um, and, uh, and so then we have that energy as well to be able to, to deal with redemption. Now, I'm not going to go into the whole idea of Mitzrayim being places of limitation because I'm going to assume that you heard about that 75,000 times in different <laughs> classes. Um, but, I, I, but, I, but I think one of the things that we do need to also think about as we go through these Torah portions is like to take it personally. To take it personally and to say, where do I want the help? Where do I want like this boost from the parsha to say I can get I can be helped? With that, let's go into our parsha. Okay, parsha's bow starts off in chapter ten of the book of Exodus, chapter ten, and and it starts at the beginning. Hashem says to Moshe, like I said, we already have seven. We've had seven plagues under our belt. Come with me to to Pharaoh because I've hardened his heart. Because I want to, uh, I'm, I, you know, I want to, I pardon his heart and I want to show everything that continues to say how you can tell your children, um, how I made a mockery of Egypt and how everybody's going to know that I'm God. And, and Rashi says um, that he should go and he should, he should go warn him. And the Medrash says that Moshe was nervous to go to Paro. He was, he was, uh, there's something he was going that Hashem is saying we're going to go into the essence of Paro and Moshe was nervous. He didn't. I mean, he'd been going to the palace to warn him, or going to the to the river to warn him. He's like been going around, but there's something here that's going to something very essential in Paro, and Moshe is nervous. And Hashem says, "Bo, come with me. I'll go with you. We're going to go together." He doesn't say go to Pharaoh. He says, "Come to Paro." And we're going to we're going to go speak to power together. And when we talk about what does that mean for us personally, <clears throat> we all have things that are our paro, the things that stop us, the things that are a force that we can't get by, and and they're scary and they're big and they're all of those things, right? And we're like, maybe I'll just sit this. I'll deal with this later. I'll tackle something else, right? But Hashem is telling us that when we are ready to confront Paro, he is with us. Whenever we're ready, and it's, I feel sometimes like the bow is like this. It's like, come, 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 come. We're good, right? It's like, no, 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 I don't want to go. No, no, no. It's just like, go, 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 right? Um, when we're ready to confront the Paro, Hashem is always with us. And so that when we think that we're only going on our own power, that is not the case. We're never, we're never only by ourselves trying to, to deal with our issues. Sometimes it feels like that, but we should know that that's not, that's not ever the case. So they go and they, um, they, they say to Paro that uh, how long until you, that you won't let the people go. And he says that if you don't, we're up to verse four, then tomorrow we're going to have locusts coming into your land and it's going to cover everything and whatever's left is going to eat it all up. And in verse 7, this is something that I want to stop for a second. Um, uh, so, they, so, they, so they give their warning and they leave. 
And in verse 7, something very unusual happens. Because the servants of Paro speak up. The servants of Paro speak up, and they say to him, you can, do, you can, you can emote this one. Come on, Zahala. What do they say to him? How long will this be a snare for us? <laughs> Keep going. Send oh, yeah. the man. Exactly. serve Hashem their God. Do you not yeah. yet know that Egypt is lost? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Good. End of the scene. Exactly. Right? Why is this, why is this unusual? Why is this unusual? Besides, Zahaba, thank you for your... Because now the people are coming to him being like, stop this. And how much strength does it take in a dictatorship like none ever before for the people to speak up and say, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Let these people go, right? So the, the Bali Musa, the, like the, the teachers who, 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 lead, who lean more into like the... Like, uh, I don't know how to explain what's there. Rebuke, self-improvement. Rebuke, self-improvement. Like, like, a, like, how do we, right? So they talk over here and they say, look at the power of environment. Where did the servants of Paro get that mm, to speak up? Because for the last seven months, Moshe and Aaron have been coming to Paro and they've been vocalizing What's and the they've been speaking up. Thing? So the people... Was it a conscious lesson? No, but that place of, of he is not so untouchable, right? Mm-hmm. He's not so, here's, here's a situation where, where the environment was so subtle. It wasn't they weren't seeped in a yeshiva, they weren't seeped in a, you know what I mean? Here they were, they were exposed to somebody, to, to people coming and confronting the pharaoh and saying, you are wrong. And so that, in a way, gave them the power to speak up and say, hello, <laughs> this is crazy. And, and one of the things that they talk about, the Bali Musa talk about the idea of how careful do we have to be about our environment. Meaning in this case, in the Torah story, it's something, it's sort of like, we see it as a positive thing. Like they're getting that place to, to confront Pharaoh and, and, and to not, be, not to be afraid of that. But in the question here, it's such a subtle influence they were just hangers-on in the palace or whatever their job was, and they were so influenced to be able to do something that they would have never in a million years dreamed of, of doing that. If you remember the beginning of Shemot, in the beginning, sorry, the end of last Chomish in Barashis, when, when Para has the dreams, how hesitantly the butler comes with his, suggest- his solution to Para's problem. He doesn't come up with like, whoa, yeah, he's sort of like very hesitant. And all of a sudden... We have another story over here where the servants are like, dude, we're all going to die. Like, <laughs> you need to do something about this. And that's really the power of, the power of, of where we put ourselves and the environment that we put ourselves in. And I thought that was just such a beautiful thought. So I, I wanted to, to share that. So Moshe and Aaron are brought back. And, um, and he says, okay, let's renegotiate. Who do you want to go? Who's going? Now remember the whole time Moshe's asking for a three-day vacation. Let's get, let us go for, let's leave for three days to serve God. And Moshe answers in verse 10, in, in verse 9, Moshe says, B'narenu v'zkenenu nelech, b'vanenu, b'vnesenu, b'tzenenu, b'parenu, nelech, k'chag Hashem lanu. Because it's a, it's a, we're going to go with our young and with our old. We're going to go with our sons and with our daughters, with our sheep and our cattle. Because it's a, it's a holiday for Hashem. Well, Moshe asks, 
to go, we're going to have, we're going to do service of Hashem. And that's a very good question. Which holiday are we going to do? And we're going to, we're going to sit on this for a second. I want to say, first of all, I was, I was blessed to be able to be at Fabrengan's with the Rebbe for many years where I understood nothing. <laughs> if you have this conversation, I understood nothing. But I have a clear memory of the Rebbe talking about Mashiach coming and talking about who and who's going to go. And the Rebbe used to, to thunder this Pasuk. We're going with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughter, with our sheep, with our cattle. We are all going. Everybody's going to, like the redemption is for everybody. And so like, yeah, it's just like, so it's, it's whatever, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, like the promise is there and now we just have to like see it happen. So that's, that's one thing that I wanted to say. Um, the other thing which is very interesting um, and I want to, and Emma's question is like a good segue into that. She's like, what holiday is this? And um, one of the things that end up happening over here, this confrontation between Moshe and Paro, is who serves God? Who's involved? Like, who, who does the service for Hashem? And Paro's like, you need the men to go. Like, what do you need everybody else? And, and Moshe's like, no, 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 no. Everybody. Everybody, the men, the women, the children, the we did everybody. It's, it's, it's a holiday. However we serve Hashem, first thing Moshe's saying is that it's going to be chag. It's going to be joyous. You know, it's going to be something that our, our lives as Jews, as Jewish men and women and children and elders and young, our lives, our Jewish life with Hashem has to be chag la Hashem. It has to be a holiday. It has to be joyous. You know, I used to talk to my kids we used to speak about like when the Jews came to America and they said, oh, the, the, the quote was like, it's like, it's so hard to be a Jew. And I'm like, who wants to be involved in like, how is that inspiring to step into a place of like, so hard, right? No, it has to be joyous. It has, to, our service of Hashem has to be vibrant and alive and passionate if it's going to have any, if it's going to have any future. And the other thing, and this is, we, we see it in our, in our lives as well, Judaism doesn't have, only the rabbis have to do so-and-so. Like, the rabbis and the rabbitsons have to keep Shabbos and everybody else gets a pass. Or they have to do the right, everybody do, no, 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 no. This is like full body experience. We're all in this, we're all involved in this, and everybody has to be, uh, has to be part of it. And, and, and fire, and fire is like, that's not happening. That's not happening. So, like this first encounter, who's who's involved, who's going? It's like Moshe's like we're all in, and Power's like eh, forget about it, right? Um, and and the other thing which I thought was very nice, and I, I one of the Hasidic like Hasidic rebbe's talks about the idea of he says binarenu vispeinenu, and I forgot which one because it was like one of those very hard names to pronounce, like maybe Rachman Srifka, but I, I but maybe not. <laughs> Um, he talks about that Binarenubis Kenenu talks about our, our, who are we and where do we sit in this relationship. Did we come into a relationship with Hashem Binarenu when we were young and we've like grown up with this our whole lives and therefore we have a right to have a relationship with Hashem? Or Bizkenenu, something that we came to at an older age when we've already been, we've already had our personalities developed, and now we want to have a. It doesn't matter at what point you stepped into it. If it's something from your narrative, from when you were young, or Bizkenenu as you got older, and you're stepping into this place, 
we all are part of it. It doesn't matter. There's not like, you need to be involved for blah, 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 whatever. It, no, if, you're, if you make the decision that you want to be part of it, then it doesn't matter how many years you have under your belt, but that's really the important part, like the choice that we make to step into this relationship with, to, to step into this relationship with Hashem. And Paro does not understand that at all. And we're not only talking about, we're not only talking about Paro back in Egypt, we're talking about, you know, the Paros in our lives who are like, what are you doing? Why are you messing with your life? Mm-hmm. Everything is good. Everything is fine. Like, could you just let this Mishagas go and, you know, be normal? And we're like, no. <laughs> Hadassah. Um, as I read this Parsha, it was interesting because I really sensed the, like, it said so many times that I will harden his heart. I will yeah. harden his heart. I will harden his heart. But then it also starts with saying that his heart was stubborn. And I thought, well, isn't being stubborn already a hard heart? Because I would equate someone who's stubborn, their heart is hard because they're not moving. But it was interesting because I felt like a lot of this Parsha was about manipulation. Like actual manipulation because Pharaoh kept trying to manipulate each situation. So, so, right, so it's interesting. I'm, I, finish, oh, okay. finish your sentence. Finish um, your sentence. But it was... But it was almost like that manipulation that was trying to use God's people, but God was, and then God goes to say that I will not be manipulated. In, um, in the Parsha here, it said I will not be Give me chap- chapter and verse, chapter and um, verse. It's, uh, ten, uh, it's 11, 10. It says, um, chapter 11, verse 10. My wonders make, uh, let's see. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I read it wrong. But he was saying that okay. he was, yeah, I, I, I read it as, okay. but I was seeing it as it was like a manipulation. And God was like, okay, keep manipulating, keep manipulating. So, so it's, so, it's, but I'm going to show you that you cannot manipulate me. Right. So, what's interesting, and, and a lot of the commentators talk about this, the Maimonides, my that we definitely have a shift, and it happened in last week's Parsha, where the first four, the, sorry, the first five um, plagues. Pharaoh is like digging in his heels and he's and he is hardening his own heart and from there on God's like and now I'm doing it for you like there's a certain place where he loses his his ability to make free choices and he's actually in our parsha he's actually acting like a crazy person he's actually so irrational and even when the people around him are able to see like this is such a bad idea he has lost his ability to he has lost his ability to uh, to really make decisions. And then Maimonides asked the question, well then how can you punish him for if his heart was hardened, if his heart was hardened, how can you punish him for things that are he can't control anymore? And then and one of the things that Maimonides talks about the idea is that there's a certain time, there's per, there are enough there are some people that have made enough bad decisions that Hashem takes away their ability to do tshuva and 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 you know and then and the part of their sort of like piling on the piling up, piling on punishment is not letting them make good decisions and then they get punished for all of it because their original decisions were so terrible. That's a very superficial answer to this. We have a lot of things that we have to go cover to the partial, so I'm not going to continue oh, into yeah. this. But it's definitely it's that de- there's definitely that interplay of like what's going on over here, and in a way, it's not Taro manipulating. Power being manipulated. 
if we were going to say anything in a way, because if Hashem is hardening his heart, that he doesn't have the ability anymore. So right. he's not doing the manipulation, but it is happening to him. And then that's the bigger question of then what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. Quick question or comment? No, it's like a quick comment. What I, what I was talking to you about, what I was like hearing in the share, it's very interesting because she also brought up Michelle, like, uh, this choice that are with restraints, you know what I mean? But they're, they think that they're the main actor of their own game because they think that they're the main actor. But like, there's something much bigger that's going on con- that they realize. And it's like, oh, you're going out of the game. And it's so interesting also, in addition to that, this week, Sanya is also talking about like, how Russia at some point is unable to break to break yeah. the clupa of making bad decisions because and they, and they have to like alter inclusive well they have to do it for tears. Which actually is funny, like Paro I think we're yeah, no, we're gonna like, we're, no listen, there's a certain place where everybody around power is like stop, stop, stop and he can't stop, 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 yeah. stop. But then tears are not helping him. Like no, the no, they're not helping him. Okay, so then the next thing we have over here is we have the we have the plague of the locusts. And then we have um, then we're gonna we're gonna skip this and we're gonna what? It's not like grasshoppers. Locusts. They're like grasshoppers. There's they're, they eat crops. They eat grain. There's different kinds. And the, what was unusual about Egypt was that it was uh, one breed of locust that sort of it says came in on a on a wind and then it was blown out on a wind. You know, so um, so that it whatever whatever was not yet decimated, they just they just ate through it. Um, there are parenthetically some kosher versions of locusts. Really? That's very first world <laughs> country. Yes, there are certain. There are lots of creepy crawlies that are in fact kosher and edible. Um, when we first moved to Israel, you know, thirty something years ago, there was actually an expo in the in the in the convention center of all the things that are actually kosher that have that they've tracked down from every single community that has a masora that has a tradition and. I think a lot of people are a little bit still nervous. They're still nervous to eat like all different. Even if there was, uh, even if there was tradition that you could eat it, evidently it has good protein value and crunch. I don't know. Um, uh, okay, so then, so they, so the, so we have the locusts. Okay, the next thing that happens is the next thing that happens is the plague of darkness. Okay, we have the we have the, the plague of darkness in chapter ten. Verse 22 and 23 and 24. No, not 24. 22 and 23. So we have like this. It tells us that Moshe stretches his hands over, over the heavens and it was dark for three days. And uh, uh, chapter 20, in verse 23, that a person could not see his brother. They couldn't get up from his place for three days. And all the Jewish people had light, which I think you were also, you were also doing that, that earlier. Um, so I want to stop on this for a second. I want to stop, stop on darkness. And, and um, the Chassidish the Svarim talk about the idea that um, what is true darkness? And the, and the Torah actually tells us what is true darkness. When you can no longer see your brother, when you can no longer see the suffering of another person, that is real darkness. That is true darkness. That means you're in a place where you're so wrapped up in your own stuff that you can't see anybody else. That's the worst form of darkness that you could have. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, that's one thing that I want to say about this. The next thing I want to say about this is um, Rashi says, 
that we about what's going on. He's talking about the levels of darkness, and there's that Rashi that there's three days that you couldn't see another person, and then three days that you couldn't move. And um, and so so Rashi says, Why did Hashem bring this plague of darkness? Because unlike all the other plagues, darkness didn't actually do anything to the Egyptians, right? It didn't do anything to them. The you know, it wasn't destroying their crops and it wasn't ruining their water. It was doing, it was just darkness. Um, so Rashi brings two reasons. He says, There were Jews who did not want to leave. And they died in the first three days of darkness. The ones who wanted to stay in Egypt? Yeah, the people who didn't want to leave. Um, and so they didn't, so Rashi says that they, the Egyptians shouldn't see that the Jews died, so they die in the in the three days of darkness, and um, so they shouldn't. So the Egyptians shouldn't see, and also that the Jews would go and look through the 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 uh, through the things of the Egyptians, and when they left and they went to borrow stuff from their friends, or this is what you were learning that day, they shouldn't. And people would say, "Oh, we have nothing to give you." They're like, "Oh, really? Check the top closet and the right hand side, right?" So that, so that's for the so so two things two things are happening to the Egyptians and two things are happening to the Jews. Two things that are two things that are happening to the Egyptians are they have three days of darkness and three days of immobilization. Okay, parenthetically, the plague of darkness only went for six days because day seven was held off until they're crossing the sea, and that was when the Egyptians got their last day of darkness, their last twenty-four hours of darkness. So the Jews, that when the Jews crossed the sea, so the Jews were able to cross. Um, safely, and the Egyptians didn't see. So they only get six days here. So that's what's going on on the Egyptian front. Okay, we can't see, we can't move. On the Jewish front, we have um, Jews are dying for the first three days, and the second three days, the Jews are going through the Egyptian houses and looking for uh, for their treasures. And they're both interrelated. The things are interrelated. I have a question, always. I've always had, I've always had a question. The Medrash tells us that four-fifths of the Jewish people did not want to leave Egypt. That is an astronomical amount of people. And I always wonder, like, when the lights go on, were they not going to notice that four-fifths of the people were gone? Like, it's not like one or two people, like, oh, they didn't know, but four-fifths of the people didn't make it out and nobody's going to notice, so... I was talking to them, like, well, you know, it was hectic. They were having, like, there was the plague of the firstborn, and there was, like, a lot of stuff going on. It was, like, it wasn't sort of calm, but, which is maybe a practical answer, but, um, you know, if we talk about the idea that for the last seven, eight months, things have been sweet in Egypt, you know, our, our ability to be self-deceptive is very, very, very enormous, right? <laughs> our ability for self-deception is enormous, so the last seven months, they haven't had slavery, they haven't been beaten, they haven't been tormented, and it's so easy to forget that this is not our place. This is not our place. Egypt is not our home. Do you think if you would have asked the Jews seven months earlier, who wants to stay in Egypt, you wouldn't have had one raised hand, right? But seven months into the plagues, or eight months into the plagues, as we are, in, yeah, yeah, we're eight months into the plagues. All of a sudden, we forgot. We forgot that this isn't our place. And it's like, Egypt is beautiful, and Egypt has, you know, 
coffee shops and they have Target and they have whatever they have. And we forgot that that is not our place. And when Moshe says, Yala, we're leaving, they're like, but like if I get one more coffee, I get a free one. And then like, I don't want to leave, right? Um, and I think it's it, for ourselves, it's something that's so important for us to remind ourselves how easy it is to fall into that space of contentment, of like, it's good enough. This is fine enough. Like, we're not being tortured. We're not being beaten. So like, sababa, everything's going to be fine. Um, so that's, I, that's Rick and Margaret's bandwagon on the side. Uh, or soapbox on the side, whatever. Can but I say we'll, something about that? Absolutely. There's people, I know people who say um, tefillah sadarach every single day without Hashem's name because they don't feel comfortable where they are because they're not in the times of Mashiach. So every single day they say tefillah sadarach because that's, they're that's still amazing. on the journey. Well, and it reminds like, you. Yeah, exactly. And it reminds you. Don't exactly. Get too don't get too comfortable. You know, I remember... not home yet. Yeah. You know, I remember when we were kids... Um, uh, it was when it was around the time of the revolution in Iran, and um, before that happened, the Rebbe had told Rabbi Hecht to get student visas for as many students as you could coming out of Iran. And they were like, oh, really? like you know, and he told her, oh, he got like a few hundred. He's like, no, no, get as many student visas as you can. And um, and as soon as the revolution went down, they were able to get a lot of Jewish children out because they had these visas prepared for Jewish children. I remember then hearing like there were kids in Iran who didn't want to leave because like their room had just been redecorated and like these were happening. I'm like, <sighs> you know, I couldn't breathe here. They're like, you know, but to step into the unknown is, is I get it. It's very scary, but I'm just saying like, it's so easy to stay into a place of complacency and say like, it's not so bad. It's not so and bad. And then you forget who you are. Because and then, you're trying to, because then it's like correct. you're falling in tra- into the trap of like I need to adapt to the to the. Even if the, you don't, I would say even if you don't adapt, even if you even if you no, don't adapt, and you say like it's not so bad here, forget about adapting. We we could li- you right. imagine in Egypt. We'll, we'll just keep calling it Egypt, right? Imagine in Egypt you could have kosher stores and yeshivas and the best of everything. Right. You're not adapting to the, you're not adapting, but you're also sitting in this place that says, I'm okay here, I'm okay here, I'm okay, I'm not even, no, I'm saying, it's a different level is if when you say, I need to adapt to the culture, but even if you, the the place of understanding that it's not my place is something that's very easy for us to, for us to, 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 to sit into, but I want to say something else, um, because, of course, in, in the measures, they have all these questions like, what kind of darkness was it? And where was the darkness from? And what was going on, right? So the, so so there's a difference of opinion in the Gemara about where the darkness came from. And essentially, it breaks down that the first three days and the second three days had different sources of light. The first, where the, where the Egyptians couldn't see each other, um, was coming from a place of regular concealment of Hashem. Like, if... Hashem is concealed, you can't see, you can't see good, so therefore you, you can't see it, right? So they, it's just a place of, Hashem is hidden, you can't see it. But the Jews at that time, so the Egyptians are in darkness, they can't see Hashem, so it's our nature to want to see Hashem, but you can't, so you can't, you know, there's nothing to do about that, right? But the Jews, what happens during those three days is that that separation between those who want to see Hashem and those who don't want to see Hashem becomes very, very clear. And the people who don't want to go to 
Sinai and continue the journey with the Jewish people, they end up dying because they don't want to continue in this journey. They want to just sit in that place of, they don't want to, they don't want to, they don't want to look for Hashem. They're content to sit in the darkness. So the people who, who bury them, their brothers who bury them, understand that there is this separation between those who seek Hashem and those who don't seek Hashem. And that was that first, that was that first place. But the second place of the, of the Egyptians not being able to move was when the Egyptians were just like, even the Egyptians were content with the status quo and we don't have to change and we don't have to move. And what did the Jews do in that space? They're able to go and they're able to look for, for gold and silver vessels, right? What are gold and silver? It's the essential holiness that is in every single item and every single experience. So where the Egyptians are immobilizing, like, this is great. This is like an amazing life. Um, the Jews are like, what's the purpose? Where's the holiness? Where's the godliness in this experience? And because we know that what, what are the Jews going to have to do when they leave Egypt? They're going to have to take that holiness with them. So when they're going to come back in that place where the Egyptians are settled, they can't move. They're just, it's okay. This is, they, they don't want to move even. They don't want to, they're not in a place that they want to even look for Hashem. The Jews are going through and they're saying, where's the goodness in this? Where's Hashem? Where's the godliness? Where's the gold and silver in this? Not because they're looking for the Rolexes, but we're saying, where's the spark of holiness that is giving life and energy to this experience? Because we need that. That's what's important in this experience. Not so much the external experience, but the holiness that's in it, that's what we need to be able to tap into. So when the Jews then later are going to borrow the vessels from the Egyptians, <coughs> emotionally what they're doing is they're going into those experiences that they were okay with and saying, okay, we're going to take the holiness out of that. You can have your experience, we're going to have the holiness, and that's what we need to take with us um, on, our, on the continuation of our, of our journey over here. Yes. Where does the Eirev fit into all this? We're gonna have it a little later on. They're gonna cut at the end when they leave. The Eirev. Do they also get affected by the plagues? If you get affected by the plagues and learn your lesson, then. So the only person who is not able to learn their lesson is Paro. Is Paro. What about Basi? She shows up in Zirayim. Like I don't know what happened to her. You know. Also remember, like at this point. If Moshe's 80 years old, when... She might not be. <sighs> you, right, you know, right. He's 80 when he goes to Moshe, when he goes to Barra, that means right. almost a year later is going to be the Exodus. Uh, how old was she? She's 100 years old? Right. Like, there's an amazing midrash that Batya, that there's like a base midrash for women in, um, in Gadadan, in Shemayim, and she's there. She's like in this base midrash with like all this amazing women, whatever, with Hannah, I think. There's some, like, there, there are, why not? Like, why not? No, you but know? it's like such a cool <laughs> <laughs> You can't make a midrash, by the way. I have to tell you, midrash is like so wild. You couldn't possibly right. make these stories up by yourself. No, That's all. I'm just putting that out there. Yes. What? Anyway, so, um, Beseder. So then, uh, okay, so we have darkness. And we have our own lesson from darkness. Okay. We're doing fine for time. Okay. Then Hashem says we're having one more plague. And um, we're going to have one more plague. And at this point, at the beginning of chapter 11, is when they get the commandment to borrow from their neighbors and from their friends. Play Kesef, play Zahav. 
Hen, uh, and says Hashem will give grace on the people and they will give it to them. Um, so that's a, impressed that we didn't steal it. That's a right. I learned that like we could have just stolen all of the stuff while they were not. While they couldn't move. Yeah, but then when we tell them like, oh, actually you do have it, it's over there, they're like actually so impressed that we didn't take it even though we saw it. Right. And, and the other thing that's going to be very interesting is that at this point when the people come to borrow, they're going to begrudgingly hand it over. The Egyptians are not going to willingly give it over. Pathetic. But then as the Jews are going to leave Egypt in another couple of chapters, um, they're going to give, they're going to willingly give them uh, more cattle and things that they need to, that they need to have. And that's also the conversation of like, where does your, your adversary now become your help? Like the place that, these are not our friends. These are, our, these are our oppressors and these are our, you know, um, you know, that these are not our, you know, even though it says, it's interesting that Hashem says that they should ask, uh, if you look at verse two, they should, a, a person should ask Me'esra'ehu from his friend and a, and a woman from her friend. These are not their friends. <laughs> these are the Egyptians, like saying, in Germany, go to the Nazi, your Nazi friend, and say, you know, could I please have, like, right? Like, the, let's put a little bit of perspective over here about what's going on. Um, and, uh, but so here they are begrudgingly giving it over, and then um, later on they're gonna they're gonna actually be much more forthcoming and being helpful. Um, just an interesting thing that um, Rev Druk uh, talks about the idea that um, they didn't go to the Egyptians. It's a total different different way of looking at it. He says they didn't go to the Egyptians to ask them for stuff, but because the, the Egyptians are not their friends, it says go to your friend. So who are your friends? So Rev Druk said that the Yidden needed a, a merit. Uh, to be redeemed in spite of everything else. Like, what was the last sort of like, this is going to be your thing? Could they do chesed? Could they do chesed? And so they went to each other. None of them had very much, but what if I could give you what I have and you could give me what you have, we're going to do kindness with each other and that's sort of a merit to, to, to get, you know, get your, your get-out-of-jail card. And I think, you know, if we were going to look around today, there's like so much chesed that's going on over here. Like we definitely deserved our get-out-of-jail card already yeah. and uh, we should just get it already. Yeah, um, I read somewhere in a book that it was like at some point they like stole all their, all their cows. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't argue but I, if I don't see it, but no, they didn't. Okay. It's not, not in text at all. But it was it, like... Something to commemorate that they took their cows or something? No, what's going to happen now, they didn't steal. They did, and exactly like Gloria saying, they could have and they didn't. But now what's going to happen right over here is that, first of all, I, first of all, if you show me, I'm happy to look at it, but they did, they take their animal. They don't, give me a second and see if that makes sense to you. Um, first of all, right now, uh, while Moshe's still here, he tells Paro that at about midnight, I'm going to, smite the firstborn. We don't use smite in conversation enough, probably for good reason. Um, and he talks about that all the firstborn are going to die um, and there's going to be a great balagan in the, it says tzakat, it's like a great crying going on in Egypt. Um, it's not going to happen and everybody is, the Egyptians are going to be freaking out. My translation, not anybody else's translation and the Jewish people will be calm and they will, they're, you know, they're, and then, and then your Moshe says to Paro in verse eight that your servants are going to come look for us, and they're going to tell us get out of here. Um, and then they leave, and they like that's sort of like the the warning for the final plague, the plague of firstborn. 
And um, and, he, and Hashem says, he's not going to listen. Like, we're, this is all going to go down. Anyway, um, chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the first mitzvah that we get. Rosh Chodesh. We get the mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh. And if you remember the first Rashi in the Chumash, Rashi says that the Torah should have started with the first mitzvah, which is right here, chapter 12 of the book of Shemos. That, Hashem, that the Torah should have started. Here we have our first mitzvah. This is where the Torah should have started, which means to say all the book of, Bar- of Barathees and the beginning, the first 11 chapters of Exodus are almost a preamble to the story that Hashem gives. And Rashi says, why does Hashem give us all of that? Why doesn't Hashem start with the first mitzvah? To tell us the power of Hashem, that the land of Israel belongs to Hashem and he gives it to whoever he wants. And Rashi says, in, when did Rashi live? In the 10 hundreds or whatever. He says, when the nations of the world will come and say, you are robbers because you because you've conquered the land of the nations, to say that the land belongs to God and he gives it to whoever he wants to and he gave it to us and it's our land. Rashi in the 10 hundreds, there was no twinkle in anybody's eyes of that conversation going on of Jews having a place, having a land, and then the nations of the world complaining that they conquered it. And in, in the 10 hundreds, Rashi was already preempting uh, a conversation that's been going on for the last bunch of years, just saying. So here we have our first mitzvah, we don't have enough time to really get into it. I will say very... Um, I will say that um, because we have talked about it and we will talk about it again, but uh, this mitzvah is really the beginning of... Uh, I think we have a lot of it, but this is really the beginning of Jewish schizophrenia, right? Like, how do you, we have to somehow tag sun and moon, right? Rosh Chodesh is a monthly cycle, but it's also going to be tied to the solar because we know Pesach has to be in the spring. So we have this whole complicated 19-year calendar to make sure that all of the, all the pieces, you know, line up. If I'm going to give you in one one line, uh, because just we don't have we don't have enough time, right? We talk about the sun is steady and reliable and consistent and sh- and shows up all the time, and the moon less so. Let's say less so, right? Now we know that the moon is only our perception. The moon is always there. It's just a matter of what we see, right? And what Hashem is actually telling us when we talk about this mitzvah of Rosh Chodesh is that we need to take the fluctuation of the moon and marry it to the stability of the sun. It means we need to take the places of we are excited, we are full, we are on fire, we are light, and then some days we don't really feel like it, but we still have to show up with the consistency of the sun every single day. Mitzvahs aren't only when I feel like it, when I'm inspired, when I'm a full moon, yay, here I am, you know, I'm in this relationship with you. What happens? When I am barely seen, when my enthusiasm, my relationship with Hashem feels so far away, we have to marry to the sun. We have to have both of those pieces. And the, you know, if we had to do one or the other, it would be easy. If we had, if Hashem said, "Be like the sun, just show up and do it," and it doesn't matter how you feel about it, like, do it, you know, Nike, just do it. It doesn't matter, right? That's not what. That, that's one thing that Hashem's saying. But the other thing Hashem's saying is that you need to bring yourself into it. And we, as human beings, we fluctuate. We aren't always in the mood. We sometimes are higher, sometimes we're lower. And Hashem says, you know, should I do it this way or that way? Yes, 
right? You have to do both. You have to be able to be as steady and reliable as the sun and as passionate and as, as ever-changing as the moon. And somehow we have to put it together. Yeah. Um, how do we know that space and the moon because it just says we're short? Because it just talks about the new month. Um, because, uh, because Rashi brings it. Talks about that, that motion. It, it talks, first of all, because uh, a chodesh is a month. Yeah. Right? A chodesh is a month. You don't see month in, a, in the sun. The sun doesn't change so quick, so much. But you do see, Rashi brings it over here that it's the moon. And it says that Moshe didn't understand what it should look like. And Hashem showed him. Hachodesh has a pointed to the moon and said, this is what it looks like. This, when, it's, when it looks like this, that's Rosh Chodesh. Um, uh, so, yeah. And, and what's interesting, because you actually see it in, in the names, right? Because a Chodesh root is... Chadash. Chadash, exactly. So a Chodesh is Chadash. It's new all the time, as opposed to a year, which is Shana, which is, um, is, 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 is to repeat. It, it always repeats exactly the same. And so how do we do both of these things? How do we have newness and constantly, re- like Mishnah, we repeat the repetition. It's always the same. How do we put all those things together? That was something that Moshe had a very hard time to understand. How does that work? Um, uh, yeah, Beseder. So we get our first mitzvah here, and it goes immediately into the next mitzvah that we have, which is a mitzvah of Karpin Pesach. There are going to be some, some laws for the Karpin Pesach that are only going to be for, uh, for the, the time that they're in Egypt, and then there's some laws that are going to be for what's called Pesach Deiris, for, for every year when they do Pesach. Um, so the, now on Rosh Chodesh, when we have, we're now we're going to have Rosh Chodesh, Moshe is told to tell the Jewish people that on the 10th of the month, you should take an animal. Maybe that's where you heard stole. Take, the, take, a, take a, a, an animal, a calf or a goat or whatever, and tie it to your beds for four days. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a story, like how crowded is the house, right? <laughs> tie it to your house for four days, and then on the 14th, on the, on the, leading to the 15th, you're going to slaughter it, and you're going to bring... Um, you're going to bring a uh, carbon, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to pay some sacrifice, and when the Egyptians say, what are you doing with the lamb tied to your bed, you will say to them, oh, we're going to kill it in a four days. And the, parent, the, the parenthesis to that is that, um, is that that was their, it was a deity in, in Egypt. So the answer that the Jewish people are supposed to give is, we're going to slaughter this, and Hashem is going to kill all the firstborns, and we're going to leave Egypt. And in Tehillim, it actually talks about the idea, it says, that the firstborns in Egypt rose up, there was a massive civil war in Egypt, where they're like, hello, we're going to die, everything this man has said for the last 10 months has come true, like, could somebody please, you know, get these people out of here? There was a massive, there was a massive, uh, uh, there was a civil war when that was happening because um, the firstborns were not as stubborn as Paro. They did not want to die. Um, and they, they took it. So that was something they only did in Egypt. And I, I you know, I, I want to just say for ourselves, you know, we talk about um, it, the, the idea of taking something that is a deity and holding on to it. And looking into it, every looking into its eyes every single day, and saying, "You mean nothing to me." You know, there are so many things in our world that are like, 
everybody idolizes this idea, this something, this whatever. And what we're being asked to do, we, we not only did it once in Egypt, but if Torah is recording it, that means it's something we need to do. There are things that we, in our heart of hearts or in the back of our mind, we, we're similar to Paro, like this, it's something that we're afraid of, like everybody idolizes. How could I call it out as being a nothing? And this is what Torah is telling us. You need to actually look it in the eyes and say, you're not important. You mean nothing to me. You are only a means to serve Hashem. That is it. Nothing more than that. And if we can do that, then it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying to us. The people around us are like, ah, I can't believe it. Right? doesn't matter. We are able to, in our place of calm, be able to look at it and say, it's not important to me, except as it is a way for me to serve Hashem. And if we're able to do that, okay, that's, that's like a really big deal. No, I understand why a lot of people you do understand it? I do understand that. What, what? She understands that the Jews are communists. Yeah, because, because in theory, it, in, in theory, it's, it would be a beautiful work. In theory, it would be a beautiful work. I just want to make one comment. Yesterday, yes. I was watching a video on the Rebbe, and he was, uh, it was on Jim, and it was somehow. He said, always ask yourself three questions. What is my purpose? What, what is my true purpose? What is expected of me? And what must I accomplish in the world? And yeah. I just thought that was so powerful because it summed up everything that yeah, you yeah. Know, we, we, as you're leaving and leaving Mitzrayim, it's like okay, now stop. what? What do I have to do? Exactly, exactly. Um, and then what they had to do is they had to take the blood and put it on the doorpost on the mezuzot, which is the sides and the top. Um, and okay, now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. We have the laws of Pesach. I'm trying to just. We have four minutes, so I'm gonna. We're gonna skip all of the laws of Pesach. We're not getting into carbon Pesach at all. There's a lot of things they don't want to talk about. Um, uh, Oria and Zohava learned something about uh, about the difference of this plague. Why there were two commandments that people had to do. They had to put blood on the door, and they had to stay oh, yeah. inside. So I'm gonna send you to them to get. Those answers over here. Um, I, I don't, I'm out of time. Okay. Um, uh, okay. So then, so then over here in the sixth aliyah, which is tomorrow's tomorrow's chumish, um, uh, we have it actually happens. Para actually gets up in the middle of the night and they leave, and um, the Jews have their you know they have the, everybody's dying and there's craziness and then uh they went and they got stuff from their neighbors and over here chapter 12 verse 37 they left they just left that's it it's like not you're waiting for like like you know an orchestra and a something and after all that year of craziness in egypt they left. Um, they left in the middle. Of, so they have this at midnight. The Jews are just picture the scene for a second, right? It's midnight. Every family is in their house. They're eating their, they're having their Pesach Seder. They're eating their sacrifice. They're all ready to go. They're like, they got their belts on, their shoes on, their staffs in their hand. That's how Moshe tells it. Like, that's how you should eat it. And we're like, we're out of here, man. And then the, the, 
plague of the firstborns, the killing of the firstborn starts, chaos, craziness going, and then they're like, okay, and then, and then we're just going to leave. And, and they actually leave the next day. They don't leave in the middle of the night. They said, Moshe's like, we're not you know, going out like, like thieves in the night. We're going out. Uh, over here, verse 41, at the end of 430 years, in the in the middle of the day, the all Sivot Hashem, all the legions of God left Egypt. Over. It's over. It's just over. Um, and it's a night of guarding and da 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 da. Um, we're gonna see, we see if you see like we have the killing of the firstborn is an exact time and then leaving is an exact time. And Hashem Rashi says that as soon as the cup was filled and they needed to get out, that was it. Hashem wasn't wait, waiting another another second. They, it was an exact time. In in Chazidus, they talk about the idea of how the beginning of the day is a chesed thing and the later part of the day is a gvur thing. And at that place, at that intersection of between that and that is when these things happen. I don't understand that enough to speak intelligently about it. Um, so I won't. I'm just throwing that out there in case anybody wants to follow up on that. Um, and then what's what's really interesting is the end of the the end of the parsha gives us like a bunch of random mitzvahs. It doesn't end like what do you think? Like and they left. Yay! No, that's not that's not what the parsha ends. The parsha ends with um, more laws of Pesach, and then the last aliyah is talking about sanctifying the firstborns, which we understand that that connection sort of makes sense to us because we just had the killing of the firstborns, so now we sanctify the firstborns. Um, and then we have uh, we have the mitzvah of, um, one second, oh, so the mitzvah of Pesach, which makes sense over here. And then we have the mitzvah of Heterechem, of the, the, the first animal that... Uh, the first animal that's born, um, the holiness of that, and then we have a mitzvah of tefillin. Where's Shabbos? No, no, it's talking about it's talking about Pesach. Seven days is Pesach. Ah, uh, talking about Pesach. Uh, yeah, yeah, Pesach, and then we, the end we have is is the mitzvah of tefillin. Random. It kind of feels a little bit random. Um, some of it feels, some of it like I understand where it comes from, like because everybody's asking me my opinion about this. Um, uh, right. No, there is. Yes, they're in Shema, but yes, they're in Shema. But also, you know, one of the things that we're going to talk about uh, a little bit more is that it's not enough to get out of a bad place. It's not enough to just leave Egypt. The question is, and now what? What are you doing with it? It's not enough to just leave that whatever was no good for you, but am I putting something good in that place? Am I, am I filling my time, my energy, my space, my emotions with something good? And so I, I think it actually, the, as you know, like we leave Egypt and immediately Hashem says, you need to serve Hashem. These are practical things that we need to do to serve Hashem. Like if you aren't going to put mitzvahs in there, then when Hashem, one of the things that Moshe said or every single time he spoke to Paro, he said, Shlach esami send, uh, send my people out so that they may serve me. 
and you know in in the years when we were tra- when the, there was a like big fight for the Russian Jews to get out, and their slogan was "Let my people go." Hashem, um, so their slogan was "Let my people go." Rabbi kept saying they're only quoting part of the pasuk. The verse says, "Let my people go, so that they may serve me." It's not enough to just get out. If you don't get out and have something good to put it in, to put into that space, then it's not a, it's not a good. You know, it's just not. It's not. It's not sustainable. So. So I wanna I wanna give us all a bracha. Uh, first of all, this Shabbos is Yud Shvat. It's the day in 1950 that the previous Rebbe passed away, and in 1951 that the Lubavitch Rebbe took over the leadership of. Of, uh, of, of Chabad and uh, if you see any videos or talks whenever somebody came to the Rebbe and he said I did this there was always like great and now what's your next step where are you going forward with this um, so uh, I want to give us a bracha that as we are in this we're dealing with the parshas that are helping us be liberated from all different kinds of stuff and each of us have our own we each have our own. We don't have to, whatever. We don't have to look very far. Um, that each of us, when we are able to take one thing and say, I'm going to use the energy of these parshas to break out of this. I'm going to use the energy to move forward. I'm going to use this space to not just leave back, leave, take, get rid of a bad habit, which would be great, but I'm also going to step into the place of something good that um, we should have, a, first of all, we should have the, the courage to do that. And we should also have the place of, of understanding, and I think that all of us sitting here do have that, that Hasidus adds so much to our lives and to our understanding of what's happening and what the world looks like and what a Jew looks like and the power of an Ashama, that we should not forget to include all of those things as we move forward and as we go forward in, in coming closer to Hashem, that it should be... We should, we should be just like the Jews at the end of the day. They put in, there was all this effort in this background and da, 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 da. But at the end of the day, it just happened. It was like, and they left. And we should be blessed to see it in our life that we just, we just leave, that all the craziness just ends and that we should uh, really be able to serve Hashem easily without anybody or anything holding us back and making us feel like we're making the wrong decisions and whatever. And it should just already, yalla, bring it on there.